Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You are watching episode 127 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast, and today we're going to talk mainly about bounce-back teams for 2021. Inside Lacrosse had a piece that they put up, I think it was during the week here, this past week, talking about their bounce-back teams. I'll throw a couple of others on the in the... Uh, uh, in on my list here after I talk through theirs. We're going to talk about how Will Bowen, uh, the North Carolina defenseman, has announced where he's going to transfer to for the 2022 season. We're going to talk about the PLL getting back on the road. We're going to talk about Chris Bocklet, thank God, is uh, has been released from the hospital and is now in, uh, in rehab. Uh, we're going to talk about some Ivy League news and maybe some other random stuff as we go. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell and all that stuff. And if you want to support us beyond that, you can go to laxfactor.com and you can get yourself some podcast-related swag. You could get yourself just some rando lacrosse-related swag. You can get yourself dope shorts. We've got new designs that we're working on that we're going to come out with as well. So you can go to laxfactor.com and uh, support us that way by buying swag. Uh, or you can just share the crap out of the video. You know, sharing is caring, and uh, you can just share this with your friends and let them know we're here and that this is the greatest lacrosse podcast of all time. I, Ted Hoost, being the greatest lacrosse podcaster of all time. That is uh, hashtag truth. Hashtag truth. All right. So uh, that was weird. Uh, let's get into this then. Uh, bounce back teams for 2020. Bounce back teams for 2021. I had a, uh, a string here in my hoodie jacked up. My fish firearms, not a sponsor, just a friend of mine. Uh, this was the, the hoodie that I put on here today. Um, Johns Hopkins is going to be the first team that I want to talk about bouncing back in 2020. Uh, their losses, you know, they, they had a two and four start in 2020, and their losses were to Loyola. 10 to 7, UNC 17 to 10, Princeton 18 11. So it wasn't as much that they were losing, it was how they were losing that was the problem. 15 9 loss to Syracuse. And at the time, the loss to Princeton was like, oh man, Princeton had just come off beating Virginia. The loss to UNC, it's it's one of those things that in hindsight, with an unhealthy Joey Epstein, a Joey Epstein that was definitely a shell of himself. Uh, uh, running around is it is it surprising that they lost those games? But then I want to go back into why I don't think their their two and four start was the spell of absolute disaster for them. Um, but you know, after the loss to Syracuse, they rebounded. They get a win against the Mount, and the Mount was a solid lacrosse team. And then they had Navy and Delaware up next, so it was reasonable to expect that by the time they could have they could have beat Navy and Delaware both, they would have been four and four heading into their Big Ten play. And to think that they could have gone, you know, three and two in Big Ten play wasn't completely crazy. Let's say they would have they would have dropped. They did lose to Ohio State, did they? Uh, let me see. Either way, Joey Epstein didn't look healthy, and that hurt him badly. When your best player and one of the best attackmen in the country is hobbling around still trying to get himself back into shape, that's going to hurt, you know. But if he was feeling better, if they had could have gotten to four and four, and by that four and four mark, if he was feeling better. It was, it was totally not out of the question that Hopkins still could have made the playoffs. And that's why I didn't understand why they didn't give Petri. You know, we had this weird COVID season. You had your star unhealthy. You had some other problems uh, in the mix here. I didn't understand why they weren't willing to give Petro another another year here out of it. I, I'm a Petro, I'm a Hopkins hater in the sense that as long so long as they're playing Syracuse, I want them to lose and lose badly. Uh, but in terms of just being a fan of the sport of lacrosse, uh, it, it, 
I'm a fan of Hopkins uh, just because of that. I, I definitely never want to see them do well against Syracuse, but if they're playing Ohio State, I'm rooting for Hopkins for some weird reason. Uh, maybe I'm matured. I'm not sure. Um, uh, but new coach Pete Pete Melliman, <coughs> excuse me, the Rona, uh, no problem. Uh, you know, I don't think that's going to be a problem at all for them. Uh, sometimes you overachieve under a new head coach, especially where you already have the talent in place, which Hopkins does. So I think that's not going to hurt them. I think that will actually help them a little bit just because of how that dynamic works out in 2021. Um, so Epstein's healthy. Cole Williams, he decided to stay put. Brendan Grimes looks like he's probably going to get some PT, which may be the reason Owen Murphy was looking to transfer. Uh, but if Mur you know, just because Murphy entered the portal doesn't mean he's leaving, although they did say he wasn't with the team anymore. So that may be telling. Um, but if Murphy stayed, even better for Hopkins. Uh, new goalie, you know, they've, they've, they've been rough on the defensive side of the ball, maybe getting some fre a fresh keeper in there that's, that's proven himself at Ohio State uh, could help them as well. Uh, so my prediction for Hopkins in 2021, I mean, it depends on their schedule in the end because we don't know what all these teams are going to end up playing for schedules. And, you know, they've got the Big Ten's pretty tough. But, I mean, if, if they're going to have to play their Big Ten schedule – it's, you know, in 2021, they ought to be close to 500. Hopkins' problem the last five years in terms of their record being very close to 500 in most of those seasons is that their record is, their schedule is brutal. So, uh, you know, all Hopkins has to do to get themselves above 500 every year and, and, and have a good argument for making the playoffs is just drop a couple of those brutal games off the non-conference schedule, replace them with a mediocre game, and boom, they're good to go as long as they pull an up, upset or two in Big Ten play. So they haven't done that. So I, I, that was a testament to, to Petro wanting his teams to play the best teams because he felt that as long as they got into the playoffs, they were always going to be prepared. So I think Hopkins, you're going to see a bounce back year. I think they're going to be a, a game or two above, above 500, depending on how that schedule shakes out. And they could end up surprising even beyond that with a new head coach. So Hopkins, that's that's one of the big ones here. Um, I am going to talk about, I'm trying not to do them in sequence because I want to do them just based on my interest in talking about them to a degree. Towson. Now, this one's interesting because Towson started 0-6 in 2020. They had losses to Hopkins, who was 2-4, but I think they were a, a solid 2-4 team. Lost to the Mount at 3-5, lost to Cornell, who was 5-0, lost to Loyola, who was 4-2, lost to UMBC, who was 4 <coughs> Woo! Uh, not the Rona. I was petting my cat like crazy as I was preparing for all this crap, and uh, now I'm, I'm allergic to my own cat, so that's what that is. Uh, UMBC was 4-1. and one. Loyola, they lost to them 4-2. and two. Uh, Cornell, 5-0. and oh, And Georgetown, 6-0. and oh. So, I mean, Hopkins, or Towson, all of their games were played against solid teams. None of them were against Cupcakes. Even 2-4 and four Hopkins and 3-5 and five, uh, Mount St. Mary's were all solid. Uh, Hopkins at 2-4. and four, At that point, they had lost to Loyola, UNC, Princeton, and Cuse. So you see, that was that was where Hopkins was good. Delaware had lost to Delaware, or the Mount lost to Delaware, UMBC, Georgetown, and Richmond, all very good teams. So even those teams that had losing records that Towson had played were solid teams. Now, the only problem is like where I said with Hopkins, Hopkins was two and four, and they could have gotten themselves back to 500 before getting into conference play. Towson probably wasn't going to do much better than they had uh, started out. Uh, 27 and 17 overall record out of the teams they played. But after an 0-6 start, who'd they have up next? Duke and Denver. Probably were going to end up losing those games. There was a good chance they were going to lose those games, and they start 0-8. After that, they ended up having Hofstra, who was 4-3 at the, at the time the season ended. 
could have made him could have put him at 0 and 9 although i think they could have hung with hofstra completely after that fairfield they were 5 and 2 after that umass they were 5 and 2 after that delaware again 4 and 2 drexel 3 and 3 so i mean legitimately there was a world in which these guys could have started out 0 and 10 0 and 11 they could have ended up with a one win season by the end of it that looked really bad but i still think if they were I dare say that if Hopkins had gone Owen, uh, they were Owen six. They were, I think they were probably okay. Just like I said, the year that Towson ended up getting the number one ranking, they were probably the worst team that I had seen in a long time, if not ever, that ended up with the number one ranking. And in, in, in no world did Towson legitimately deserve that ranking simply because at no point was Towson that season. What was it? 2019, 2018. At no point were they actually the best team in the country. But and this on the flip side of this, to be fair, uh, at zero and six, there's no world in which Towson was the worst team in the country. Uh, even if they had gone zero and ten, one and eleven, whatever they finished that year, they were probably one of the best one and ten teams. Or in this case, they were probably one of the best teams to have an zero and six start ever. Legitimately, I mean, this was a, a solid lacrosse team that simply had a, a brutal schedule. The way that it lined up, the way that it lined up, where they were a bit down, and the teams that they typically play on their schedule were all doing really, really well. I mean, how often is it that Fairfield, UMass, and Delaware, all three of those teams are sitting at five and two, five and two, and four and two, respectively? Even Drexel to finish their season was sitting at three and three at the point that the season ended. So it wasn't going to get any easier. Um, it was going to, they were going to take a beating in 2020, but I think that in terms of teams that started 0 and 6, I, I dare say they were probably one of the best 0 and 6 teams that you would see. I'm not sure how many uh, wins they're going to put up in 2021, partly again, because it's hard to see how the schedule shakes out. I, I know it's going to be more than what they put up in 2020, which was zero. Uh, let's just say they pulled out two wins, which would have been reasonable to assume based off the rest of their schedule. I think they're going to get above two wins. I think they'll get to three or four wins, depending on how the schedule shake out in 2021. But as Inside Lacrosse said in their piece, it couldn't be worse. It, it couldn't possibly be worse than what it was in 2020, and I would agree. But I, I'd like people to just temper that just realized that they at 0 and 6 they were a st- still a solid lacrosse team that could have knocked off anyone on any given day and i think that you'll see them improve obviously in in 2021 uh next up that i want to talk about Rutgers 2 and 4 start in 2020 started off hot 29 win over Quinnipiac 17-10 over St. John's and and then they beat Rutgers or no it's 17-10 uh, win over St. John's, and then Rutgers was pumped. That's what I was trying to say there. But then their schedule got tough. They start off 2-0, and but then they lose to Army, who was 6-2, and 15-4 loss to Army. Army was hot at that time, too. Uh, they lose to Loyola, who was 4-2, and two, but that's just an 11-10 loss, so that was a close game, and Loyola's a solid team. Stony Brook was real fucking good, 5-2, and 14-13 uh, loss to Stony Brook. So they start out 2-0, and they drop three in a row, and then they play Princeton. And I felt like in that Princeton game, I was waiting for Princeton to roll them. And they played Princeton tough. They played Mike Sowers tough. They only end up losing to Princeton 16-11, to and they hold, held Sowers to three goals and two assists, which at that point was doing pretty damn good against a kid like Mike Sowers. But still, that wasn't enough to get them a win. And uh, so then they're 2-4. and four. Next up for them, Syracuse. That probably would have been a loss. But then, and then that would have put them at two and five. But then they would have had Lafayette after that. That could have given them a big win heading into Big Ten play. So, granted, they were probably going to finish at five hundred or below. You know, it's kind of solid, I think, overall. 
But I think they would have ended up getting four, five games, four or five wins or, or so on the season. And then you look at 2021, we've got Mullins and Charlambides are both back. Add Connor Curse from Villanova, uh, new dope facilities. So I think Rutgers, they should, the problem with them, even with these additions, everyone's real hype at Rutgers right now. And I think I even have them ranked in my top 20, you know, somewhere 2018. Uh, but it, the reality with College Across is a team that's sitting at 500 or below could still be ranked uh, simply because of how conference play lines up. Rutgers' problem is going to be they play a, a solid non-conference schedule, and then their conference is also going to be brutal in 2021. So it'll be tough for them to get above 500. But I put them at a shot at right around 500, maybe a little bit below, with a, with the potential to to surprise some people and maybe get above there. I think Rutgers is going to put a much different product on the field. But I don't. Once again, just like I said with Towson, that Rutgers was not a bad lacrosse team. On any given day, they could have come in and beat anybody that they played. They just had a a rough stretch there, and they played some really good teams, uh, as we'll see, which is kind of the trend with all these teams. Now, uh, the next one. Let me get a drink here, real quick. Uh, the next one that we're going to talk about, Notre Dame. Now, I'm not sure I consider this one a bounce back, really, especially because of how early it was in the season when everything got nuked. Notre Dame was sitting at 2-3 and three in 2020. So I don't count that as a, as a bad season, especially with a bunch of games left to play. Uh, two wins were against Cleveland State and Richmond, and they beat them both up. And Richmond was solid as all hell. So to beat Richmond like they did, uh, and then they end up playing uh, Maryland. And I, I thought at one point, because of how they played against Richmond, I thought, hey, they could go in and, and beat Maryland. They didn't. They lost 14-9 to the Terps on the road. Then they played Denver at home, lost 14-11. Listen, those are respectable losses, man. So you lose to the Terps and to Richmond, and then uh, you lose to Ohio State. That was the, the dick kick. Uh, getting kicked in the nuts. Uh, against Ohio State, 13-11 loss. That was the one that hurt, and I think that one was the one that was like, oh, how good is Notre Dame really going to be if they're losing to Ohio State, which everyone kind of agreed they shouldn't have. Uh, I think I forget what happened in that game. I want to say, was that a game where Ohio State's faceoff guy absolutely murked Notre Dame? I can't remember. Um, but that was the reason everyone is starting to question how good Notre Dame was going to be. And that's partly the reason why everyone's uh, thinking that Ohio state has a lot to look for, look up to here in, uh, in 2021, because they did, they beat a very good Notre Dame team. Uh, the reality though, uh, they were certainly going, their life wasn't going to get any easier at two and three, their life wasn't going to get any easier as they start getting into their, their conference play. But I still think they were going to you know, still finish above, just below, let's say, 500, right around 500, maybe below. Uh, they still had to play UVA. They could have pulled that one out. UVA was struggling. Cuse had to play Cuse still, and Cuse at the, at the end of the season was 5-0, and but Notre Dame always plays Cuse tough. Uh, sometimes they beat up on Cuse when they should be close. Sometimes they, they hang with them, or maybe Cuse has the edge, but I mean, Notre Dame never plays Cuse badly. Duke, the same. They tend to play Duke tough, and then they had Marquette, Army, and UNC to close it out. So things were not going to be easy for them, because they still had Marquette. They play, they play ball on any given day. Army was good. UNC is incredible. Uh, you know, it was going to be rough, but now let's get into the 2021 prospects because 20 or 2021, 2020 is behind us. 2021 is still here. And they add Will York from Bucknell. That kid can play. They add Sean Leahy from Providence, both boost depth and quality. The biggest add, in my opinion, Kyle Gallagher from Penn, faceoff guy, because they go from maybe being they go from being a 50-50. I think they may even have been a touch below 50% at the faceoff uh, dot. 
They go from there to Gallagher, who's going to be a 65 to 70% winner uh, in this upcoming season. So the fact that they were able to rob Penn of a couple of guys, and then they end up with Will York, who Will, Will York can play ball. So I'm, I'm super curious to see where he ends up on the field for them because Notre Dame's kind of loaded now. They went from having a, a really good roster offensively to now adding a couple of studs offensively, grad students at that, that are going to really improve the, 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 their level, uh, the level of offensive output they are capable of. And they already have a really good D. So I expect the Irish to handle their non-conference business, possibly even need to go undefeated non-conference, and then you've got your ACC play. So I think they will bounce back because I think that they're going to finish above 500, and if you finish above 500 and play in the ACC, you're getting into the NCAA tournament for the most part. So Notre Dame, bounce-back team. Another one they talked about, and I'm once again, I don't count this as a bounce-back, and I'll, I'll do this one quick, was uh, Bryant. They were 3-4 and four at the time, so again, bounce-back, eh, Losses to Bucknell, 5-1, and one, good team. That's not a bad loss. Lost to Providence, 5-1, and one, another good team. Not a bad loss. Boston U, good team. They beat them. They get a win against Boston U. And Boston U was 1-2 and two at the time of playing, but they picked up some wins after. Dartmouth was 3-1, and one, not a terrible loss. Uh, uh, Manhattan, they were uh, solid. Uh, they were a solid team. Stony Brook was, it was downright solid. I think they beat Dartmouth, actually. I, I, I might have gotten that one wrong. Uh, or maybe Dartmouth beat them. I can't remember now. So at three and four after f- their first seven games, and they were a tough first seven games, that's not all that bad. And they had St. Joe's, Wagner, Merrimack, Sacred Heart, all winnable games back. And then they had to finish the season off with Hobart, Robert Morris, and Brown. Really tough three-game stretch to finish their season off at. So I, in my opinion, Bryant was going to finish above 500. They weren't going to make the tournament or anything like that unless they won their conference tournament, but they were going to finish above 500 and, and look good. So I'm not sure I'd count them as a bounce back. Uh, but now, though, if you really want to look at like what's going to be the difference between last year and this year, huge add in C.J. Carpenter from Duke. I mean, C.J. Carpenter played tough on attack for Duke uh, in the ACC. He's going to play really well, and he's going to fit in really well. Team leader, smart guy. Uh, is perfect a perfect complement to what they've already got going because he can lead where needed, but he can also kind of just mix in wherever they need him to get touches or off-ball looks or whatever. A complete player they gained in C.J. Carpenter. I'm a big fan of his. And uh, he'll be able to team up with O'Rourke and McGovern. Uh, so they've got an upgraded offense here, uh, looking, looking good for 2021 for Bryant. We get into some other news. Will Bowen chooses Georgetown for grad, grad school. I know people were kind of shitting bricks here when they first saw that Bowen was had entered the transfer portal, but Bowen is just a brain. His gray matter has been put to good use in his time at North Carolina. He had that first season he sat out with an injury. He then played uh, the shortened season here a little bit, and then that kind of ruined things. So he's really coming in coming into his what is technically now his junior year at UNC where he'll actually graduate after his junior year he's technically only a freshman from an eligibility standpoint so he is going to be ditching UNC after 2021 he's playing out his 2021 season at UNC and then he'll be heading to Georgetown for grad school after that that made sense for him good pick for Bowen and uh, Georgetown picked up an absolute stud on defense, and they're they're looking pretty solid on defense through 2022, maybe even 2023. So you throw Bowen on that team, and now Georgetown all of a sudden is looking like a beast in uh, in the Big East there, assuming that's where they're still lined up. I always forget. So that was pretty big news. 
PLL is taking the show back on the road in 2021. The PLL just announced a 43-game slate for 2021, and like Willie Nelson, they will be back on the road again. 43 games over 11 weekends between June 4th and September 19th. There will be added excitement thanks to the closure, the shuttering of the MLL, or if you want to call it a merger, you can. It wasn't really as much a merger as it was um, the PLL snacking on the Boston Cannons, and they're going to you know, take some snacks from the league in terms of uh, the expansion draft and who they end up snagging from that. Um, but it's, it's going to be ex- – you'll have the added excitement of COVID and them getting back on the road again and being able to go in a limited capacity, I presume, two games and see some lacrosse played this summer. Uh, but then you're going to see the added excitement of seeing guys like Lyle Thompson, Fricaro, uh, Stotts, and a bunch of other dudes that you'd think are going to jump Q. You're going to see jump from uh, the MLL into the uh, PLL. And you get to see the Boston Cannons, the a brand that they decided to uh, transition into the PLL here already as well. So big news for the PLL. It'll be good to see them get the show back on the road, and I hope that pans out. I, I don't. I believe it will because they they did the bubble safely. I, they're going to have a lot of time. They've had a lot of time to plan for this and to plan how this is all going to to go down. So I can't wait for them to release the schedule. That's going to be exciting stuff. Really good news. I mentioned briefly at the the beginning of this here, the front side, uh, Chris Bocklet is out of the hospital and will begin his rehabilitation now. So uh, T's and P's to Chris Bocklet, his family, his friends, his teammates, and all of that. It's good to see him, uh, you know, get out of the hospital, make it through this and hit that long road to recovery. And you just know a savage like Bocklet is uh, is going to do, uh, you know, there's my brother had dealt with something similar. My brother was on in, in uh, ICU for weeks and he was on full life support for like two weeks at one point a few years back. It was going to take a miracle for him to survive. And not only did he survive, he survived, he rehabilitated and he's thrived uh, since then. So I know Bocklet is, you know, just an overachiever at every aspect of his life. Um, so I presume he's going to murk this. If anyone could murk it, it's going to be him. And the lacrosse community did a great job coming together to uh, try to support him. So I applaud that. You know, golf clap uh, to everybody for that. But good luck to Chris Bocklet, his family. T's and P's for me and mine. And uh, Ivy League, man, the Ivy League uh, is is they're they're the redheaded stepchild in sports. You know, it's they they, they think, and this isn't to say to speak to the people who are playing sports in the Ivy League but this is to the people who administrate the sports in the Ivy League uh uh they think that they've got this thing on everybody else and maybe they do maybe they don't in terms of just uh we are in, uh, educational institutions and uh sports is secondary to their player safety which is all true i mean sports should be secondary to to player safety uh but football proved you could get it done and football's roaming around the country with 53 yeah, I don't know what uh, 53, I'm saying it like uh, college football teams are NFL teams, but I presume college football teams have huge rosters. Um, I presume the people they have to travel with is pretty huge, and they were able to pull this off at, at, in football, get games in for the most part. Uh, we There was some weirdness and there was some finagling you had to do, but they did it. They get through a season, they have a national championship. Lacrosse, I assume lacrosse is going to do the same for the most part. I, I presume most of these conferences that are, especially at the D1 level, that end up playing are going to do their best to get as many games in as they can while keeping their players safe. Ivy, the problem I have with them is that they don't mind. Listen, everybody says, well, they're not there to play a sport. They're there to get an education. That's bullshit. Yes, they're there to get an education. But a lot of those guys, some of those guys chose that school because of the sport or because of the mix of what that sport is and the education brings together. 
So for the Ivy to pull, my phone's blowing up, for the Ivy to just pull this weird thing now where these kids have until a certain date to uh, decide if they want to put in for their leave of absence. In the Ivy, you don't get to redshirt. In the Ivy, if you don't play, you're just hosed and that's just a year down. So what? in order to finagle that, you end up having to leave school for either a semester or two. I forget how it works, but you'd have to put in for a leave of absence, not come to school at all in the spring. And then when you come back the following year, you still have your year of eligibility to play. The problem is, is that the Ivy is now kind of putting these guys in a bind because they are not committing to playing or not. And they're saying there is a, a world in which we may not play and we're, you're not going to know before the deadline is, uh, for you to put in your uh, request to to um, not redshirt, but to to have your leave of absence. So you're going to have some kids that have to decide now, do I stay in school uh, or do I put in for my leave of absence without knowing full well what's going to happen? I'm sure you're going to end up with a couple of kids putting in for a leave of absence. And then if the season happens, they're going to be kicking themselves in the ass. Uh, I guess it will be, even if they do play, it's going to be a super shortened season. But man, the Ivy has some of the, the best talent in the country running around on the field at these these uh, brainy institutions and for, you know to just not have that is going to be heartbreaking for the lacrosse community and it's kind of bullshit but it is what it is i don't get to make these decisions because i am a web developer slash the greatest lacrosse podcaster to ever live not an ivy league overpaid ivy league administrator um so but i am probably you know i'm i'm, I'm compensated well for what i do for a living so don't i'm not complaining here uh so that's it you know, I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about the Ivy League situation. I'm curious what you guys think about just the fact that we're supposedly going to have lacrosse here as soon as uh, January 30th, I think, so far, is the first uh, scheduled game. I forget who was, who was even uh, supposed to play it. but uh, So, I mean, I'm curious. What, what do you guys think about that whole Ivy League crap? What do you guys think about the fact we, we're going to get to start watching lacrosse soon? What are your teams doing? If you're a high school kid, are you guys playing? When do you guys start? What are your coaches saying about the possibility of getting a season in? If you're a college player, what are you thinking right now? I've had a couple of players reach out to me to throw me some info here and there about like the Ivies situation. So there was a couple of teams that I knew it didn't look like they were going to play even if the Ivy League ended up having a season. It could have been maybe they were hinting that the Ivy really wasn't going to have a season. I'm not sure. Uh, but I talked about, for instance, Harvard was one of the teams I had heard wasn't going to uh, play regardless of what happened, even though even though they hadn't announced it officially yet. Princeton, I believe both men's and women's had already announced it. So the Ivy's got a huge mess on their hands. And then beyond that, who do you think bounce back teams? What are you guys' bounce back teams? What other teams do we maybe want to talk about and look at? Hey, here's what this team did in 2020. We think that they're going to do a lot better in 2021. Who have I overlooked? I didn't. And, and when I got through the list, I, I don't really have any other teams that I think would are going to bounce back officially. I think a lot of what we're going to see, it's going to be tough to tell what we're going to see because so many teams are, are bringing everybody back. So it's like, all right, well, hey. Uh, Q's brought everybody back, but so is UVA. And then Duke, they brought everybody back and they added Mike Sowers. Um, so it's, I, it's tough to gauge who's going to bounce back, who's going to end up taking a dump. Because, like, for instance, in the, in the ACC, those teams are going to murder each other. There is a boatload of talent in the ACC right now. There is a boatload of talent in the Big Ten right now. Uh, so those two conferences are going to murder each other, and that could end up having implications with who makes the playoffs out of those conferences. We may not see the usual four or five teams make the playoffs from the ACC because if they're playing limited schedules and they're playing each other round-robin twice, I think the ACC plans on playing every team once 
and then you're going to play a couple of teams twice. You know that could end up hurting a really good team that ends up with a record that doesn't that isn't really uh, doesn't really tell the full story of how good they are, and that could end up costing them a, sh- a shot at the playoffs. So let me know what you think. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, uh, share the video with your buddies. Go to laxfactor.com. You can get yourself swag, shorts, hats, t-shirts, all that good crap as well. No, I do not sell R two D two. Um, coffee mugs that's just what i was drinking water out of this morning and uh that is it i will be back next sunday and uh what we'll do the weekend that we we're we're going to get those first games we will do a live stream early in the morning on saturday probably in the area of 10 o'clock or so we'll announce it officially and then we're just going to keep putting out these sunday shows uh the big show on sunday uh after everybody plays a saturday game so we can talk about the saturday games and as always we'll just start peppering shows in to talk about games here and there so during the week as there's games on that i watch boom i'll uh, probably live stream a lot of those as i said just to cut down in the production time but uh as we said the the big show no longer on thursdays the big show is going to be sundays early in the day uh to pretty much start recapping uh, events from friday and saturday's game so that's it as always thank you for watching thank you for listening and uh, Hoost is out.